one of the first things that I heard when I woke up was, you'll never play football again. Um, and that was from both the doctor and my mother. <laughs> she was worried sick. And um, I knew from there, I had mentioned you this when we talked last week. I That was kind of the moment when I woke up and I heard, you know, you're never playing again. I was okay with it. That was a moment where I was like, you know what, it's something like this is enough for me to hang up the cleats and realize, you know, I could move on to something else. And did I want to? No, but I'm Troy Martino. I'm a graduate from Rutgers University and former tight end for the Stevenson University Mustangs. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm excited to bring you Troy Martino, who played tight end for Stevenson University until he suffered a career-ending head injury during a non-contact spring practice after a successful freshman season. Troy is a fellow Rutgers Sport Management graduate, and although it seems uh, that our transition to life after football was similar, in many ways it was also very different. Uh, For example, Troy suffered from the effects of post-concussion syndrome, uh, whereas I did not. Uh, And in this episode, we're going to compare and contrast what worked for us and what didn't in our transition to life after football to prevent you uh, from making some of the the same mistakes that we made and also to prevent uh, the suffering that we went through uh yeah, it to some degree definitely. as well so so troy excited to have you on i'm, I'm glad that matt introduced our, us uh yeah no know. thanks for having me yeah, uh culture. yeah he had mentioned to me this my first day in i think it was my first or second day he had asked me um just about my education i mentioned my injury and right away it, it, it like clicked in his head he's like i need you to meet i need you to meet kevin be so awesome like to hear you like have him talk to you and um I'm also. This is awesome. I'm glad yeah, to be here. It's cool. So, can you start off by like taking us what led up to this like career-ending head injury? And I, I just like to point out the fact that like it didn't even happen during a game. Yeah. You know. And, no, like, completely leisure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was. This was not during the fall. That's what like always surprises people when they hear football. I'm like, no, it was in our our second to last spring practice, uh, May third. I remember the day like it was yesterday. Um, and we were actually in the warm up. And we had a bunch of prospects coming to see us. Uh, we were being a little flashy in the warm-up. Uh, my quarterback had signaled me to run a deep post. Um, so we were about the 35-yard line. The other quarterback warming up was at the goal line. Uh, I ran like 10, 15 yards, took my post in. The other receiver was running a fly route, running straight down the field. Uh, the ball was thrown behind me. I opened up the catch it, completely stopping my body, exposing the whole left side of my head towards the other receiver, who had at the same time caught a flyer out, turned his head moving full speed. Um, his forehead collided with the left side of my head. Um, immediately, I had, I had hit the ground. I remember hitting my head very hard back on the ground. I popped up, and the first thing I thought was, nope, this something's not right. Um, I laid right back down coaches trainers came over they walked me over to the bench uh, and I was conscious for about 15 minutes Um, first thing I had noticed when I opened my eyes was holy crap the sun makes my head feel like it's going to explode like I can't do this 
Um, they covered me up with a hat. And then after about 15 minutes, I had rolled onto the field. Um, that's when I had my seizure. I was then unconscious after the seizure. Um, I was sent to, where did I, did I go to Hopkins? I think I went to Hopkins initially because I think I was moved. And your, because your school was in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Hopkins. No, I went to Sinai, Sinai, Maryland. Um, and then I was there in intensive care for about eight hours. Um, I was unconscious the entire time. And then I had woke up in my room at Sinai. Um, and then that's when the recovery started. I was very in and out of sleep at first. Um, but from there on out, recovery started. So let's go back to the beginning where you say sure. it was like a flashy drill. So like flashy drill mm-hmm. in turn, like you had multiple quarterbacks thrown at once. Yeah, we had, um, we had the two quarterbacks and it's funny because it, the drill was just about the end. Um, this seems like that's how it always works. Yeah, it was literally <laughs> just about the end. I was literally like the last one. They were just blowing the whistles and the quarterback was one of my best friends. So I was like, let's, let's run, let's run a deep one. So he threw me the post and it when I say flashy, it was just it, – it's not that it wasn't well, like, thought out, the drill. I, it was just a lot of moving pieces all over the field. You know, the music's blaring. People are jumping around. We had about, like, 30 recruits there, which in a spring practice, we usually have them at 6.30 in the morning. This one had been snowed out, so we had it on a Sunday afternoon. It was a perfect time to bring them all out. I just think it was high energy, lots of pieces moving on the field, and it was just wrong place, wrong time. So – I mean, obviously the routes were premeditated, right? Yeah. Like the posts and the fly. So th- for people who don't know football, fly routes just basically like run straight. Uh, yeah, run straight. Whereas a post route, you run to the post, so like to the middle of the field. So what went wrong? Like, did the one quarterback lead, you know, the fly route closer to you than he should have been? Like, what was the? Well, see, I was on. When we were receivers were lined up to the left. Okay. So the post ran me right into his left side alignment into his fly. Okay. Um, had the ball not been behind me, I wouldn't have stopped my body. That's where, because when I stopped and opened up, that's where I com- came completely exposed. If I caught it, I might have slithered out of there. Um, but I think my post interfered with that straight, that straight okay. route. And he had just caught it, not turned around to stop himself in time. I was looking the other way, completely stand still, and then. Right. So you said uh, right off the bat, you you didn't you weren't unconscious. You were conscious for 15 minutes. Yeah, I was conscious. But yeah. you said that you had that kind of voice in the back of your head that was like, you know, maybe something's not no, completely not right. right. Yeah. yeah. I'm used to. I mean, that football toughness that when you play, and you think of you know, people like me and you, we get hurt. All right, we're getting back up. And, next player we'll get back up and walk off to the sideline I had never thought in a million years when that happened and I got the actual report of what it was when I got hit I was just like I thought maybe concussion days and confused and when I sat up I just I felt it was almost like feeling just my entire like 240 pounds when I was at that time I was huge and I was like lifting up everything and I could feel my head and I was like no like you just kind of get that feeling like something's just off. Yeah, something's off, yeah. not right. So when you had the seizure, this was 15 minutes later. Yeah. 
I mean, I had a grand mal seizure after my injury. Was it a grand mal seizure? Like, were you not breathing? Like, what was um, the, the deal with that? The thing was, I wasn't even aware of the. I puked and then had the seizure. I was very unaware. I didn't know I had the seizure until I was put on Keppra, uh, the anti-seizure medicine. When I started taking that, I had no idea why I was taking it. I was told by my mother, uh, you had a seizure on the field after it happened. Yeah, I figured you didn't remember this so, part. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I no recollection of it. So was there your athletic trainer on the field at this point in time? Or? Uh, yeah, I think both our trainers were um, – they had the hospital come, the ambulance come get me, um, and then a couple of my coaches. Okay. So what did your trainer say, like, after the fact? Like, when everything happened, what what was, like, going through their head? Did they did they ever disclose that to you? No. I actually, funny, believe it or not, I don't think I've talked to my trainer. Because after that, after the injury, I was in the hospital for four days. And then after that, I went, this was at the end of the semester. So after... I was in the hospital. I was sent right home, um, and I've only been back to Stevenson twice now. I've went back to visit. I've seen a couple football games, um, see my old team, see my coaches, but I never got the um, the analysis from him or what was going on from his side being firsthand there, the first one there. Right. I'd be interested to hear that, that part too. of the story. I never yeah. – you know what? Like, until you've said that, I've never thought about that, like asking him, like – well, I just think, like, with my story, like, I don't remember anything of, like, the chaos that ensued when I collapsed on the field, had the grand mal seizure and everything like that. But I only know things from what was retold through me from my athletic trainer. I think I need retelling, yeah. I've, I've talked to a couple – the the quarterback who threw me the ball is one of my best friends there. He's a good buddy of mine. What does he say? Um, And he said – he said kind of the similar thing to what – it's funny what – went through my mind was at first I didn't think it was anything too serious and then I was like oh god and he said the same thing he said when I saw you down on the ground I thought you know what maybe it was same thing like confused days like on the ground and then you just he was like you just laid there he's like you were just laying there for a while and then he was like then that's when all of us were kind of like all right this might be a little bit more serious than what we all we all think it is um the practice had resumed after that it was just starting that's how football um, works right yeah just move them 15 yards the other they way me on the bench <laughs> and they started practicing again so i didn't get any detailed reports um outside of that but i do remember him thinking the same thing i did yeah he's, he'll get up and it was just right. i was laying there laying there laying there and he's like oh god right so you're you're in the hospital uh in uh, intensive care right yeah i was i'm i was until i got once i was conscious i got moved out um, but when I was first admitted, yes, I was. Okay. And they did a CAT scan or like how'd they know you had a skull fracture? Um, yeah, I was doing all the CAT scans, MRIs. I did, um, I don't, I didn't do any EEGs until I was back in Philadelphia. Um, but I did do, I think it was like, I was, I remember they just kept, the only time I'd move from my bed is when they had to do an MRI or a CAT scan. And I did multiple of them. They would come in with the wheelchair. They'd be like, get up. And I was like, oh, gosh, I just want to lay here right now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they did multiple MRIs, and um, they saw the depressed fracture on the left temporal bone. Okay, so once they diagnosed that and you were awake and everything, like what was the prognosis for, you know, going back to football? Uh, the one of the first things that I heard when I woke up was you'll never play football again. 
Um, and that was from both the doctor and my mother. <laughs> she was yeah. worried sick. And um, I knew from there, I'd mentioned you this when we talked last week. I, that was kind of the moment when I woke up and I heard, you know, you're never playing again. I was okay with it. That was a moment where I was like, you know, what? it's something like this is enough for me to hang up the cleats and realize, you know, I could move on to something else. And did I want to? No, but right away he told me I'd never be playing again. Um, luckily it was without me playing again, it was a pretty easy recovery in terms of, I didn't have to have any, uh, work done on my head. They never had to go in there and fix something. Uh, if I did want to continue to play, they would have had to done that. Uh, and that was something that I wasn't looking for. I don't think my family was, um, but yeah, I, right away he said, listen, you're done unless I guess you want us to go inside your head and fix it up and that kind of skeeved me out, and I was just like, you know what? No, this is uh, it's not worth it. <laughs> I, I, I've had all my experiences, and this is a good time to, you know, hang them up. See, that's like an interesting difference between the two, sto- our two stories. Like, as similar as they are in a lot of ways, like, my immediate reaction when I was told that I couldn't play football anymore was just, like, tears. Yeah. Because that's all I knew. Like, that's all I knew Kevin Som was, mm-hmm. was, like, a football player. Yeah. And I wanted to play in college, all this, and I couldn't achieve those those dreams anymore. So, did you have, like, a good sense of identity outside of the sport while you were playing? Um, Or were you just, outside, like, sick of getting it was, hurt? It was – no – I I feel like I had a good identity. Um, it definitely sucked for me. There was no part of it that I was like, okay, I'm done football. Like it was not easy at all. I just felt like it was the best decision for myself and in terms of health and everything like that. And I felt like I could move away from it. I didn't like it one bit. I hated it. Um, when I broke my collarbone in junior high school and I found I couldn't play, I cried my eyes out. Yeah, I was a, I was a mess. Um, And then fast forward the freshman year when I find out I couldn't play, you know, I was upset and it hurt and I miss it every day. Um, But I didn't, it wasn't the same emotional breakdown. You know, I I felt proud of what I had accomplished. Um, I was so thankful to be able to play my freshman year there. I always tell people that, you know, looking back on the experience, I wasn't a, a scout team freshman tackling dummy for the 22 year old seniors that are kicking my butt. Um, I was really – I had a chance to be a part of that locker room, be a part of the team, travel to all the games. Um, and I think that helped. I think that helped with me, you know, making that mature decision and realizing, you know, I've had such incredible experiences with this game, but it, as much as it sucks, it is time to move on and do what's best for myself. And that was deciding not to have all the work done with my head and move on naturally. Yeah, I mean, I think that was also a wise decision as well. And this was pretty recent. Like, it was only three years ago, right? Yeah. So My freshman year, yeah. I yeah. just graduated, so three years, four years. Yeah, so what's interesting to me, too, is, like, the time period that you got hurt in. Like, concussion awareness is, like, in full-fledged force in 2015, or that was the year of the injury? Yeah, two, no, yeah 2015. 2015. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's almost – a little different where when I was told I couldn't play football anymore because of a head injury or something like people weren't, this was 2007. So like people uh-huh. weren't really talking about like the effects of concussions and stuff like that. 
um, on your long term health. Whereas you've had that shoved down your throat for the last, you know, yeah. you know, yeah, it was, at that point, like ten five years. It was the main, yeah, it's the main story surrounding football. So maybe yeah. like it, it, did that influence like you're like okay, like I, I think so. I, I made it out lucky, kind of deal, or a tad bit, yeah. Um, I guess I wasn't thinking too much of the stereotype of, you know, like the football head injury and thinking of all of that. I was just thinking long-term. Um, when you look at stuff like the, like CTE, that is just now the trending topic in the NFL and it's what they're, you know, they're working really hard to bring those numbers down. And they're, you think about your long-term health. I think that was what I had most in mind was it, it was just, like I said, it was the best thing for me at that time. Um, it wasn't so much all like the concussion, all the concussion hype and the head talk. You know, I knew about that. And even people that don't listen, to, everybody knows about that. Um, but not everybody thinks about their long term, I think. And I think that that was something that really came into my mind um, at the time of the injury. That, you know, if I can, if I even, if I get the work done and I go back and play with this, this could open up new doors and new things in three more years of playing competitive football and NCAA division three level. Um, so I think that, yeah, it definitely weighed into my decision uh, okay. to walk away. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic with the time period of, of the injury itself. So can you talk about, you know, let's, we could start talking about some of the more immediate symptoms that you dealt with, you know, off the bat. So, you know, you're – how long were you in the hospital for until they let you go home and then let's start there and yeah. see, like, you know, what symptoms were you experiencing and, like, what was, like, the rehab process like? Sure. Um, um, so, like I said, I was admitted on a Sunday. The practice was on Sunday. Um, I had left Wednesday afternoon of that week. So, it's, like, what, three, four days roughly. Um, the immediate symptoms, I mean, the pain – was all in my neck and my shoulders. And that was from being unconscious and just stuck for so long. Um, and that was surprising. I, I didn't have awful head, head injury or head pain, I should say, not head injury. Um, as you think you would with this injury, it was all my neck and my shoulders. Um, so I was taking pain medicine for both of them. I took those two home with me. Um, I imagine... I mentioned the Kepra for the seizure I had. I took that home with me. So on Wednesday morning, I left my, my bags packed full of prescriptions and uh, in my wheelchair. And I was feeling immediately a little bit better, more clear, I would say, in my head. Um, but the pain was still there. I took the pain medicine when I was home for about two weeks. And then I was off of that. The pain went away. And then really from there, it was just, you know, my natural recovery. Um, I was going to Philadelphia, I was seeing a neurologist. The one thing that, that really killed me was, you know, I did a year full of football where you're lifting year round and I loved it. I really didn't want to, you know, get out of the gym for that long, but he told me, listen, there's not much you can do with, with heavy weight, with your head, with a sensitive, a bone that is now growing back and restructuring. There's not much you can really do with weights because of the pressure that you would the build pressure, up in your head. Yeah. With, uh, fear that it might disturb the healing process. Um, so when I was home, I was seeing my neurologist. I was doing slowly along my process. I was doing small workouts. 
um, different things in his office, not even with weight sometimes, just, you know, bands, things like that, getting the movements back, you know, getting warmed back into it. Um, I was, I think I had an EEG done maybe two times. And for people who aren't familiar with EEGs, yeah. they basically monitor like the electrical patterns in your brain to make sure that they're like firing correctly or there's nothing abnormal because abnormal electrical firing is like an indication of seizure sensitivity. Mm-hmm. That was like a really layman's terms way of <laughs> saying what, what they are, but. I could never get it out without just I just have to call an EEG. Yeah. I, I can't I can't just keep pronouncing it. Yeah. Um, but those came up all positive as well. Um and then like I said, the recovery was, you know, I was <laughs> positive as in like you're good. Yes. Yeah. yeah, as in they didn't see anything flaring up um that could have been a problem. And then it was really just that summer, I like to call it a fake house arrest. I just was I was inside, I was, you know, bedside, I was protecting my head at all costs. Um, I would try to, you know, do little, do little things, do push-ups, do sit-ups, do them in the family room. You know, it's hard to keep yourself active when you're nursing an injury like that. And your doctor tells you, listen, just, you got to stay in and you got to protect it. Um, so Did you have to wear a helmet or anything? Like, no, I didn't. No. no, I didn't have to wear a helmet luckily. Um, but I mean, that's probably because I wasn't going anywhere or doing much. I was just, there's not much that could have happened to me inside. Right. But I was off the pain medicine within two weeks, which was great. I was, I was very happy to not have to take them anymore and be done with them. And the pain in my neck and my shoulders was alleviated. Um, I was on the Keppra for about two and a half months. Um, I, you can't drive on Keppra, which is a fun fact. That was a big adjustment. I've been there before. Yep. Yeah, that was a big adjust. There was a lot of uh, – it's very serious where there's a lot of things that it restricts you from doing, and um, driving was tough. But yeah, after, You lose your freedom. Yeah. yeah. After the three-month summer, um, towards August, I was finally getting back into things. Um, I'd finally felt comfortable again. You know, I was feeling comfortable going back out. So was my f- my mother was definitely feeling better with getting me out there. Um <laughs> slowly integrated my things you know I was I went I remember when the first time he got out of the house was a Phillies game and I was like wow this is like this is the best like right. I, I was watching them every day on TV because I didn't have much to watch in the summer there's no football no basketball's done um so I got to go to a game and then you know going uh, you know getting to see my friends I'm not doing much I can't really go out for a night but you know if I can go see him and I hang out with them and then I go home it was still it was it was a a great night if I could just go see him for a little bit and hang out with him. Um, and then once, once fall came and I got back to Rutgers, I was able to get back into the gym, which was, um, which was real good. And once the fall came around, that's when my, everything started to feel a little bit normal again. I felt comfortable like with your head. You mean? Yeah. Or? Yeah. With my head and my recovery process, you know, I, I felt comfortable with my head. I felt like I was integrating back into my normal life before everything again, um, which felt really good. And, you know, I was back at school, which was awesome. Okay. So in terms of like classic PCS symptoms, like the headache, the confusion, the, um, I don't know, you know, those stand like sensitivity to light, you know, Mm -hmm. you didn't necessarily experience that. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing too bad. Um, the headaches weren't awful. The, 
the light wasn't bad. Um, the confusion part we talked about a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll get and into I'm sure that, we'll get to that the, later. The transition to but Rutgers, that yeah. wasn't so directly correlated to the post uh, concussion syndromes. Okay. Um, all right. So th- since we're on the topic, let's talk about that. Tra- I mean, that was a quick turnaround from your injury to transferring schools and go to a much bigger school in Rutgers. And we obviously both went to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I struggled immensely when I first got to Rutgers because of the sheer size of it and yeah. uh, stuff like that. So talk about your transition to Rutgers, why you went there, what you struggle with when you got there and et cetera. Sure. Um, so that summer when I was recovering, um, we were definitely up in a little bit up in the air of whether I would be going back to school in the fall or if I'd be taking a semester off and maybe going in the spring. Um, I had applied to two schools. I applied to Rowan and Rutgers University. Um, and this was like in June. I was a late admit. I got into Rutgers. Um, and that was like really the only school I wanted to go to. If I got into Rutgers, I kind of felt like I knew I wanted to go. Um, so after a month and a half of doing nothing, I got on the Rutgers, accepted it, did my, you know, your star day where they show you the campus and everything. And I took my placement test. Um, and it was after doing not, I didn't get to, I didn't have to take my finals at Stevenson, which was the only perk I'll say of the injuries. I got exempt from all my <laughs> finals, but I, I guess that was made up for when after a month and a half of recovery, I'm taking these placement tests in the Rutgers. And I just remember looking, I was like, holy crap, man. Like I got to get back in the swing of, <laughs> swing of these things. And it, it was tough. Um, I placed into the, the lowest math. Um, my English wasn't as bad, luckily. Um, but you know, I got through them and I, I passed them and it, I was good to go after that. So I made the transition um, in September to Rutgers. Stevenson was 4,500 kids and Rutgers is like 55, 60 something thousand undergrads, four campuses. So right away I was like, all right, this is, this is going to be tough. This is going to be a really hard adjustment. And I've heard that from other people that I knew of transferred in the bigger schools, transferred in the Rutgers. And just like you, that my first problem was those classes. I've never sat in a class that was more than 25 kids at Stevenson. My first semester i think i took like four out of my five classes were lectures so it's like four classes 500 kids in there yeah Yeah. like 400 500 kids in there you no attention from the teacher it's definitely more fast-paced than stevenson was um so that that the academic part of the adjustment was it was one of the toughest things uh, i've gone through with the injury um I just had to learn how to manage my time better. I had to spend a lot more time on academics at Rutgers than I did at Stevenson. Um, I had to give myself more time to study, you know, more time to complete a homework assignment, uh, more time to write a paper, anything like that. Um, And I kind of had to reteach myself how to, you know, learn. You know, you go to high school, you have 25 kids. I went to Stevenson, I had 25 kids. This is a whole different environment. I had to teach myself what was the most effective strategies to retain information and learn in a class of 500 people People where I can't ask a question if I have one. It's tough. Um, but then outside of that, the, the adjustment of the social scene was different as well. Um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of friends up at Rutgers that I knew from high school. 
and they certainly helped me with the adjustment and, and, you know, meeting new people and not feeling like such an outsider. Um, but at that time I was a nobody and I didn't have the football identity and I, I didn't have any identity behind me. And it's like, Oh, this is my friend, Troy, shake their hand you know, I'm just another, are you ID one, two, two, three, three, three. Yep. I'm just another kid. I'm just another kid at Rutgers university that you're learning their first name that you'll probably forget in five minutes. Um, but it did help me. It helped me find a niche of people that I do call my very good friends. And, you know, I always told myself, I, as much as I love these guys from home, a lot of them are older than me, um, that I had known. I didn't want to just latch on into like their, their group of people there. Right. I wanted to, you know, have my own, I had my own group in high school. I still talk to them all the time. I had my old group in college. I talked to them. I want to have my own group here. Um, and you know, they, they helped me do that. They helped me break out of my little bubble. I was in at first, you know, not knowing anybody. Um, and it helped a lot and they helped me find some really good people there and I'm happy about the move. Yeah. It's an interesting point that you made about introducing yourself and you're just like, you're just that, uh, you're just a, a kid like everyone else at, <laughs> yeah. at school too. And like, but you had that experience previously as being the football player. Like, That's yeah, the identity. Yeah, yeah he's so, on the football. Yeah, he's yeah on the he, football team, and it gives you a, a little bit of a title. So, was that hard for you to like? It was. It, how did you combat that? Is what I'm asking. It I was guess. different. It was. It was different at first. It was different not to think like the football guy or the guy on the football team or you know that. When you're at school, that's how you introduce yourself to people. Oh, I'm Troy. I, you know, I play on the football team. Now it's like, like I said, I'm Troy. I go to Rutgers. Yeah. Um, and it was weird at first. Um, I don't think it, it affected me too much to where I didn't feel, I would say, lost. Um, but it, it, was, it was just a new feeling. It was new. It was weird. And I knew I had to get involved with something, meet people, find something where I don't just feel like another RUID number. So what did you do to do that? Um, I did join a fraternity at Rutgers University, which was an awesome experience. I met so many people there. Um, we had done – we were involved in the Keller Sports League, which was awesome. So we were playing – I was playing flag football, which was probably not the best idea um i played too and i probably shouldn't have played either but, but i could yeah i couldn't stay away from it i was like oh this is all i got left i gotta play yeah um but like in the keller league you're playing football you're doing softball dodgeball tournaments but you meet so many people doing that um and then you know just being involved around campus going to different uh philanthropy events seeing what's up and you know meeting new people being involved in organizations and even if I'm not in a club, a club's event or right. something like that. Put, where, putting yourself out there. Yeah, something where you can meet those people. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far from the initial transfer to Rutgers, uh, I don't think we talked about why you didn't go back to Stevenson. So why did you choose not to go back to school there? Okay. It was just yeah. It, yeah. the way the story is right now. It's kind of like you got hurt and you're like, oh, I guess yeah. I can't go yeah, back no. anymore. But I mean – Rutgers gave me some, I think, advantages that I didn't have at Stevenson. I, before I decided I wanted to play football in high school, I was very, I was in between wanting to play football or not my junior year, and then my junior year injury is what showed me okay, 
I, I know what I want to do. I want to play football in college. I saw, like, the emotion I had after that injury, and that's when I knew. Was that the collarbone? That or? was the collarbone, okay. yeah. That's when I kind of had an idea. I was like, okay, I want to play. Um, but until then, I Interesting that an injury makes you realize that you want to play as opposed to not want to play. Well, yeah, it made me want to play, and then two years later, it made me not want to. It's yeah. weird. But um, before that, and I was looking at schools for football. I was also looking at schools just for academics, and those were all majority, you know, larger schools. And I kind of liked the idea of going – like, I thought, like, going to a Big Ten school was really cool. Um. So when I found out I couldn't play anymore, I could have returned to Stevenson, which was it was like about two and a half hours from my house in Maryland. It's not an awful drive, um, but not being able to play, I feel like would have just really it would have killed me. Like having, I would have loved to stay involved with that team. I love those guys. I love the coaches, um, and it was nothing against them. It was just. Personally, it would have killed me to have to sit on the sideline every game and, you know, just be whatever role they would have had for me. It would have been playing and it would have, I know me and I would have, it would have eaten me alive. Um, so I took that into account and, you know, Rutgers, it was a little bit closer to home, which I liked, especially after the injury and everything like that. I liked having my home. It's like 45 minutes from my house, an hour. I enjoyed that and I just felt like there was more opportunity for, my personal growth as a, in business and as a professional, um, you know, you have New York city right next to Rutgers. I'm from right outside Philadelphia. I'm close to Philadelphia. Um, there's so much to do around here and so many opportunities for myself that I didn't feel like I may have had at Stevenson. Um, and that really led me to, you know, wanting to come back here and, you know, go up to Rutgers and, start a new beginning yeah all, all all good reasons so you kind of alluded to this just just now that you knew yourself and that you wouldn't be able to watch your team play without you yeah and when I think back to my experience at Rutgers and how it was very different from yours in terms of how involved I was with the Rutgers football team because <clears throat> for me I ended up working for the Rutgers football team for three out of the four years that I was there as a student manager. And although it did hurt on game days when everyone's like warming up out there and everyone's like all hyped up, you know, I obviously wanted to play still, but to me being a manager, even though I was just a manager, I was able to hold on to that football identity that I just wasn't willing to let go of. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> By being on the team, I could wear all the gear. I could travel with the team. I was like basically being a football player, just not getting hit yeah. <laughs> every weekend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this actually isn't so bad. This I get paid. I get food. I get gear. I get bowl rings. I'm like, and I don't get hit. I'm like, <laughs> could be worse. Um, but you took an opposite approach. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I guess your interaction with uh, Rutgers football? Yeah, well – uh, the absence of my interaction with Rutgers football, we should call it. Yeah. I, um, it was weird. And you know, I can't, I couldn't really put it like a, a reason behind it. I can't put a name on it, but it was something about being my first Rutgers game. I went to, when I transferred there, I went to the first game of the first, uh, of the sophomore season. We play, I think we play North Dakota state, somebody like that. Um, and I couldn't put a name on it. It just felt so weird to me, you know, sitting and, and I don't understand it because, you know, 
I love going to Eagles games. I can watch the NFL all day long. I enjoy, you know, watch. I keep up with high school football. I don't mind going back and catching game in my hometown. It was something about being in that college football setting that it was just like it just didn't settle right with me. And I, it's so hard. It, it sounds weird, and it's hard to put like a reason on it. But I just felt like I felt empty when I was watching it. I felt like I should be out there. I should be playing like. And it just it brought back it it brought back a lot of the problems I had giving up football, like I had said. You know, it, I did it, but it wasn't easy. Um, and I think it just brought back a lot of those feelings of you know like of I, an empty feeling. I'm struggling to you know like maybe explain. I should have got the surgery or something. Ex- yeah, exactly. Maybe like because you know I'd seen I was looking at my former team and their success that season, they had a great year after uh, the year after I left and they've been doing so well. Uh, I'm proud of them, but I saw like the success they were having and i just, you see the post and you see the big plays and you see the hype around it. And it's just like, I, I didn't feel full watching it. I would have felt full being in the moment playing. Um, and it was just like a weird unsettling feeling watching college football like that. And I think that was one of the reasons that I stayed away from Stevenson. It wasn't so much I don't I I should be out there. My team shouldn't be out there without me. It was just more of like, man, I would do anything to go back to that injury and not run that post route or just walk off to the sideline or run it differently. And it was me just trying not to get caught up in thinking about going back and giving it up so much. Um, and that kind of led to why I was very uninvolved with Rutgers football. You know, I great respect for them. The opportunity, I had friends that worked for them. They're great opportunities. They're doing great things there. It was just something that I didn't feel like I particularly wanted to get behind um, for personal reasons. Yeah, I mean, makes it makes sense. Everyone, you know, yeah. responds uh, differently. Mm-hmm. Um did you have any like? What, was this like your lowest point at Rutgers? Yeah, that first that first semester was my lowest point. So how did you bounce back from that lowest point? You kind of talked about you had to teach yourself how to you know remember you know the material in the course and yeah navigate such a big school and you you found a new niche in your identity that was away from football, but. Did you do anything else that kind of helped you uh, during this this time, like along the, in the process? It was really just acclimating to everything. Like, I when I went to Stevenson as a freshman, you know, going to college for the first time is it's supposed to be so new. Um, and you know, going to Stevenson in my freshman year, it was new. Uh, but when I went to Rutgers sophomore year, that almost felt like the feeling you should have being a kid at his first day of college. Like it felt like that brand new everything's so different and um it was really just acclimating to everything you know I I had when I had troubles you know I'd resort back to my family a lot a reason why I love being close to home um I talked to a therapist at Rutgers for a while about not even you know deep personal problems but you know there it's so good to just have somebody to talk to um did you talk to him about the football stuff? Or? I talked to him about the football stuff. I would talk to him about my troubles acclimating. I would talk to him about ways that I can make it easier. I talked to him about personal things. Anything that was really, I felt that was hampering my mood and at my 
things that brought me down to my lowest point, once I got it off my chest, it lifted me up a little bit, no matter what it was. Just getting it out there, having somebody else's opinion, having someone else give you a hint of advice, having someone weigh in on it, it it just it helps. When you have somebody that you can trust to talk to and you believe that you know they want to help you, which I did with my family and the people I talked to at Rutgers, they were great for me. Um, it helped me a lot. And, um, that, that first semester, it was a huge challenge. Um, but getting through it, you know, I got through it. I, my GPA obviously wasn't the greatest thing in the world after my first semester, but mine either. Trust me. I was on academic probation after that first one, but guess what? You know, I, I learned how to do a lot of new things. Like we said, I learned how to learn again. I learned how to teach myself different things. And, you know, I learned a lot and then I used that to grow on it. And then in my second semester there, I did astronomically better in, in the grade book and I felt better as a person. Um, so it was really just taking those, those struggles I had freshman year or, sophomore year first semester and that low point that I knew it was at and it was taking it and building off of it and you know using that as a positive and I felt like since that point I've, I've been doing that since it's kind of like solving your own problems kind of thing it's yeah. like it's uh very gratifying to solve yeah your, your own prob- problem pro- yeah. any problem but like when they're your own problems they make you feel better it's even better um so what kind of football player were you like when you play, like what style? Were you like a finesse guy? Were you like super athletic, or were you like hard nose? Like I'm gonna punch you in the face. Um, it, see, I have a I have a pretty quick trigger, so that's the one reason I love football so much. Was like once you kind of tick me off, I'm I'm triggered, and once I would get ticked off in the field, that's when I would adapt that you know like hard nose punch you in the mouth. Um, but I I was a smart I I call myself a smart player I played tight end outside linebacker and then in college I played tight end but I, I remember playing linebacker I I was smart in terms of I knew what was coming my I mean your goal is to turn the run back inside if he comes outside you tackle him if he comes outside and you turn it back in your job's done um I felt like I was very smart at knowing how to not having to go 100% driving through someone to get the play done I was able – I knew how to position myself. I knew where to be in certain formations. Um, and I knew certain things that I could do to, you know, turn the play back inside. Same thing with tight end. Um, it was really cool at Stevenson. It's the first time I ever had this option uh, was we ran a tight end option. And I had a route tree. And my route – the route I ran was determined on what I saw, you know, where the linebacker's playing, who's over top of me, things like that. Um and I thought I did a great job at it. And, you know, I just always thought of myself as a, a smart player, knowing where to be, knowing how to get the job done. Um, but then when I was ticked off, I was I could get a little hard-nosed, punchy-in-the-mouth kind of, kind of guy. Yeah. I, I always ask that because I was like – I had one mode, and it was always like I'm going to run you over and punch you in the mouth. Yeah. And that was my identity too like i had my identity as a football player and then my sub identity as a football player was the freaking tough guy yeah at times like excessively like all right dude like (laughs) chill out (laughs) but um i largely think that my career was shortened because i played that way because i was like complete disregard for my body just throwing myself around you know just trying to yeah your focus makes big hits my focus was not in the right place so i like that you said that 
you were more of a smart player and that kind of led to your success more than being a freaking hardo, you know, because, and you mentioned at one point in time too, uh, like when you're playing defensive end, you're trying to keep everyone contained, right? Yeah. You said like you didn't have to run through people to make plays. Like you were, you used your smarts to just position yourself in a way to still get the play done without like Mm -hmm. killing yourself to do it. Yeah. And I feel like if more athletes, think that way they can extend their careers much longer than someone like me who just tries to like muscle muscle their way through it yeah like at the time it seemed cool but you know i mean yeah when you can't play anymore it's like yeah that was pretty dumb every team has (laughs) every team runs off one at least one of those people the uh the crazy guys that and you need you kind of need it on a team but you're right learning how to play smarter not harder It it comes at a cost and, it does, yeah. Yeah, and there's a guy, you know Devonta Freeman? hmm Like, he's a guy that frustrates the crap out of me because he's so athletic, that he, but he also is a freaking hardo, too. Like He just goes right through people. Yeah, he runs people over. I'm like, dude, like... Go around yeah, him. Yeah, just go around him, man. Use just go the out of bounds. Yeah, like, you don't... You, like, it's one thing, like, for me, like, I wasn't the fastest person in the world, mm-hmm. so, like, I didn't necessarily have the ability to, like, juke people out and, like, burn them up the sideline. So therefore, I ran you over because that was the only weapon I had. But I'm like, with this guy, he can do that. He can do it. Like, but if I could have done that, <laughs> yeah. I would have done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, run away from him, dude. Because um, he's always got concussions and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, he you're does. giving them to yourself. Um, but yeah, I forget where I was going with that. But either way, I, it was. I think it was a, a good point made. No, it was. Play yeah. smart. Don't always. Yeah, like, smarter, not harder. Yeah, that's what we always said in practice. But you, know, you can. You can transition that to the field. I'm not saying don't play hard, but you know, you can you can tell a lot from before a play starts, and if you can learn that, you can get yourself out of a lot of situations. I remember what I was gonna say. It's when I go to schools or and I give like speaking engagements. I always have this one slide of Bobby Boucher mm-hmm. uh, from the Water yep. Boy, yeah. and I always say like, it's obviously gets a laugh from the crowd, but I put it there because I was more like Bobby Boucher, the freaking Water Boy, who's just a he was known bone for being head. like an idiot. Yeah, he was a bone An head. idiot that just like hit hard and made, you know, <laughs> threw his body around. That's why people loved him. But like I was more like Bobby Boucher than I was like any other player that most kids would try to emulate. Mm-hmm. So like looking back, like I'm like, dude, you were such a freaking dumbass, man. So <laughs> why did you, why were you like Bobby? Yeah. No, I mean just because like I got because when I ran someone over or made a big hit you had the gratification. You got the gratification from your teammates, your coaches. Everyone got hyped up. And, like, I felt like that was my role on the team. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to be, yeah. but Yeah, it didn't have to be, yeah. Do it once, get everyone hyped, and then juke them out the rest of the game. <laughs> like, have an off switch. <laughs> uh, but, all right. So, speaking of kind of styles of play and everything like that, I'm curious of what your thoughts are on players like Gronkowski, especially you being a tight end and – yeah, I know Gronk got a concussion late last season mm-hmm. uh, from, like, a defenseless – he was in a defenseless receiver position. And guys always say, like, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't go low on him because, you know, it's his knees. I can't go Kill high him. on him. Like, how am I going to tackle Gronk? He's 270 pounds, and I'm a small D-back, and I mm-hmm. can't – like, what are your thoughts on that as a as a tight end? It's – I mean, it's, it's tough. I, you know, the – the NFL, they're in a tough spot right now. You know, they're constantly in the rule book. And, 
revisiting these and trying to make the game as safe as they can. But, you know, football players do assume a risk when they go out there to play this game. Um, and they all know that, and they still put their bodies on the line. But it, it's a tough spot. You you just mentioned it. You know, they want to get rid of, you know, the head-to-head contact concussions. Well, you can't go high, and you want to go low. Well, then it's, oh, well, you might hurt his knee. Um, so they're put in a spot where it's the only reasonable thing they can do is is a regular form tackle. Unfortunately, that doesn't work anymore in the NFL. A regular form tackle is not every single play in football if you've ever played. There's times where you – it's a game of instinct, and you're not – when you're going to hit him, you're not thinking about, okay, let me make sure my shoulder pad gets here, my helmet gets on this side, my arms wrap. It's instinct, and if somebody's going to get past you, you're going to hit him a certain way. If they're flying past you, you're going to hit him a certain way. Um, so I think the NFL is definitely in a tough spot with trying to control the injury amounts by changing the rule book because there's only so much you can do, and I feel like there's only so much that can be changed. Um, when it comes to defenseless players and, and hits like that, I, I there's no room in the game for it. The ground hit was was bad, and you'll see hits like that where they're they're easily avoidable. Um, I think the ground kid, he got like what, a one game suspension. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. He was probably a repeat offender. Yeah. And it, it sucks to see, cause you know that that's not football and it does happen. Um, but I, I feel like that the NFL, they're doing all they can to clean this game up and it's, it's tough. I mean, I feel like for hits like that, the one game suspensions, you can't find them. These guys are all millionaires that you know finding them's not I don't think is the right option I think a suspension is the best way to do it um so like the one game on him I, I would I would give that more than one game I think it's when you're assuming the risk of putting your body out there like that you guys are all a fraternity you guys are all together whether you're on the same team or not you're all assuming the same risk you got you got to look out for each other and you, you got to protect each other um I know anger and the flow of the game sometimes gets in the way of that and trash talking and this and that. But at the end of the day, it's you guys are all in the same league. You're all playing for the same thing. Uh, you all have your one body to protect. You all have families at home. Um, so in terms of cleaning up the game in the rule book, it's tough. You know, if I didn't answer for how to do it, I'd be working for the NFL right now. Um, but for stuff like that, it's – I, the sanctions on players that do do those hits, I think, just need to be a little bit harsher than, you know, sitting out one game, if that makes sense to you. No, I think – I like the part that you said it's like a fraternity. Like, no matter what team you're on, like, you guys are all brothers out there and, like, you need to look out for each other. And I think that's yeah. what frustrates me the most is, like, when guys get fined for making a hit or something – an illegal hit. It's like, dude, like, how would you like it if, it, if the role was reversed? Like, mm-hmm. how – Hit how you would want to be hit. Exactly. You yeah. know, like, come on. Like, that, that's the part that frustrates me. Um, Sometimes they, they just get caught up in the game. And, like, we've both been there. We've both been in a high-intensity, close game where you hate the other team. But you just got to think about it logically and step back for a second. With the way you see the NFL going and everything surrounding it, you know – a, a player's decision can make so much of the difference. You know, there's a lot they can't control, and the NFL does. 
but there's things on the field that they can control. And, you know, they want to, they want football to last forever. I want it to last forever. And it, it, it starts with the players and it's, it, everyone has their own, their own role and right. making football as safe as it can be and last for as long as it can. Yeah. Um, did your injury change like how you view the world? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, it changed how I viewed my – I think in terms of the identity shift, it changed how I viewed myself a lot. I wouldn't say that my perception of the world changed too much, um, but myself, I feel like I changed a lot, and it kind of changed you know, my, my motives, my goals, my passions, what I'm looking for – how I'm going to grow, how I'm going to mature, things like that. It kind of just – I was expecting college to be four years of playing football and thinking football would put me in a spot after my four years and maybe getting the coaching or something like that. And then I was blindsided. And now I'm sitting here. Well, like I said, I'm going to school with 60,000 kids. I have no title that's going to help me in any way, shape, or form. It's all it's all on me. Um, so through my three years, it was a lot of – learning where I want to go in life, what I want to do. I'm 22 years old. I'm still trying to still figuring that out a little bit, but you know what I think's important. Um, you know, life, it, it definitely gave me a perception on life that it's a sweet thing and you only get it once and you got one brain, one heart and an injury like that where, you know, it could have went so much worse. I'm so thankful every day that, you know, I had the recovery I did and I'm in the spot where I'm at. Um, but it made me realize, you know, it, don't take advantage of it. it. You know, do the best you can when you have the chance to. I look back on football and I, I, I constantly think this, like I could have done, I could have done so much more at Stevenson in football. I could have worked out an extra hour. I could have done an extra day of drills on the weekend. I could have done a lot more and I, I didn't do it. And you know what? I, I still got to play. It still worked out great. Um, but now after that injury, that kind of gives me the feeling where I look at myself now, you know, going out into the professional world and things like that, you know, I can, I can do good work and end up in a good spot, but there's always more I can do. Um, and getting away from football helped me realize that now. And, you know, I'm, I'm just starting the work now. I graduated two months ago but I'm starting to emulate that. I think I'm starting to emulate that in my work and, you know, going above and beyond and getting the best out of myself I can. And I think that will really pay off. And I didn't do that in football. I, I, I worked hard. I worked very hard, but I could have always done more. And I think in terms of life, that's it. I'm using that to just keep pushing myself and pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward and doing as much as I can, because that's, that's how I'm going to get the best out of myself. Right, and you were also you told me something the other the other or last week that you were born with a blind eye. Yep, I have amblyopia in my left eye. So how did that affect your football career, and how did it affect your injury recovery? Um, so my football career, it was it was tough. I mean, catching the ball as a tight end was you know the toughest part. Um. Linebacker, it wasn't so bad because, you know, the biggest problem with it is my depth perception is just way off. Um, to anybody who doesn't know what it is, it's essentially like it's 
and known as other words, lazy eye, but I don't have a lazy eye. I have the vision that you would have if you had one. I like to explain to people, if you wear contacts and you have bad eyes, take your contact out of your left eye, keep it in your right eye, and then walk around for a day. And that's kind of what it's like. Um, so when I play linebacker, it wasn't that much of a problem. You know, a, a body running at you, I can, I can still see that. Um, but catching the ball, it, it could have been tough at times. I remember freshman year when I was first learning the playbook and, you know, going through the route tree, we had ran, it was, we ran a waggle in high school. Um, and I would go about eight yards across the field and I was comfortable with it. But then at Stevenson, it was a little different. It was deeper. It was like 12 to 15. And just that the longer it was, it was very tough with my depth perception. Um, to know like where you were at on the so field. So when I would run, well, that and catching it. So when I would run it, line up on the right side, and I'm looking out of the left corner of my eye, I had so much trouble tracking the ball and catching it. If I ran it from the left side and I looked at my right side, it was easier. Did your coaches know this? Mike. I didn't tell I didn't tell my coaches I was blind in my left eye because I thought that they wouldn't want me anymore. <laughs> so uh, they did not know this. They didn't know until we'll just go off in a little fun story real quick. They didn't know until <laughs> spring football. Honestly, right before my injury, they had no idea. And the quarterbacks were in a meeting, and I think I ran this route, and I think something either like hit me or I dropped it. And one of the coaches was like, he did, it looks like he didn't even see it. And my buddy was like, well, he is blind in one eye. And they were like, what? <laughs> I just played this whole year for him. And they are like, he's blind in, in what? And he's like, yeah, he's blind in his left eye. And I, when he came back and told me, I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, I've kept that a secret <laughs> so well. And you told him. Um, but it was like certain certain routes looking out of my left. My lead eye being my left eye is tough. Because, you know, you know, going across the field, catching a pass, you don't really want to turn your full head and completely not see what's in front of you. So I had to, you know, rely on that left eye to track it in. Um, and it was tough at first. It took a lot. It took a lot of repetitions, more than I wish it would have, because I was there were certain routes I was running a lot to get used to. And. All of them had to do with me leading out and looking with my left eye. Just, It's almost like a habit. You know, you practice something to get in a good habit. I was just getting in the habit of tracking that ball down and feeling comfortable with the timing of when to get my hands out, when to grab it, things like that. So repetition is what helped you overcome Yeah, that. repetition, definitely. I mean, I used to take – I would – we would go down the field either, you know, days before practice, after practice, and I would just do – like a route through three and it would just be three routes that either I felt I was struggling with that week. Um, or I was struggle. I just wanted to improve on overall because of my eye. And I, I knew I could feel more comfortable. I wanted to get it to the point where, you know, even though I have 220 vision or 280, 20 vision in my left eye, I still want to be able to use that to catch and this to kind of look what's ahead of me. You know, I never want to put myself in a position where I'm going to get clothesline across the field. Do you think that you got clothesline across the field because you uh, couldn't see out of your or as well out of your eye? On my injury? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. That was that was behind me. I didn't even have a chance to see him. Okay. I would have needed the old third eye in the back of the head to see that one, but I I did get nailed some. There was a couple of times in practice I got nailed. That's football, I guess. Yeah. 
All right, man. So as we kind of wrap things up here, I got a few more questions for you. Uh, what's your advice to athletes who suffer career-ending injuries? Um, I, I'd really just say find your passion. You know, it. For me, it was, you know, as tough as it was being out of the sport and integrating myself back into it. I I found my passion within sports and within football, and even though that wasn't like what you did, you know, going to the team and working with them, mine was a little bit more on the outside of it. You know, even if it's not sports, it's something completely different. Just find your passion, work at it like you worked at the sport you played your whole life. I love to tell people that, like, if you wanted to go to the NFL and you're Division One, and, you know, you have a career-ending injury, think about the work you put in over the past 12 years to get where you were and as good as you were. You can emulate that in in any profession, any industry, any interest you have. But just like it took you 12 years to get that good to that point, yeah. it might take you 12 it years to get to that. It might take you time, yeah. yeah. But you know, you know that now. We didn't know. Most people don't. You don't know that when you're in middle school and that's when you really start working. You're just no. – it's just sports. Now you know. Like you can see from the other side how much hard work it takes to master something or to be very good or – be a big name in something. Yeah. Um, so you can't play anymore. Guess what? There is a million other things out there. Find your passion and just emulate that work ethic you had to be as good as you were at sports and do it there. Cool. Uh, so what's your uh, social media following? Like, do you use social media at all? Like, where can people find yeah, you? Yeah, no, I to? do. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. You, being a 22-year-old, I don't use it as much as you think. I'm more of a, a watcher. Um but Twitter, you can definitely find me. Um, What's your handle? I think it's just at Troy Martino, as well as my Instagram, at Troy Martino, T-R-O-Y-M-A-R-T-I-N-O. Um, That's pretty impressive. That means that, like, you were the first. There's one. I, I've I've done this study once. and I, Not study. I've done this stalking, I guess you should say, once. <laughs> and I looked up Troy Martino on Facebook, and I think there's one other Troy Martino I could ever find from, like, the Philippines. I was like, all right, I'm good. Like, You're solid, people yeah. are not taking my handle. <laughs> Uh, all right, last question, which I ask all my, my athletes on the podcast, is what is your definition of toughness today? Um, my definition of toughness today is really just having the persistence, you know, to push yourself when things aren't easy to succeed. Um, I'll kind of break that down. We always think about toughness as getting hit and getting back up or being able to you, I've heard you say this before, bench 500 pounds, I, and I agree with you. It's it's not about that. It's Toughness has really turned from physical, thinking about toughness from physical to mental for me. Um, I think that somebody that's mentally tough can be physically tough. I think somebody that's physically tough can't be mentally tough. Um, so when I say my definition, it's, you know, things in life aren't easy. You know, getting to where you want to be is not easy. Things are going to get thrown at you. It's not easy. There's adversity. Um, it's being consistent in, you know, applying yourself to doing whatever that might be. Not saying no, not being scared of something. Being able to, you know, take a risk. Being able to accept failure. Being able, you know, to, you might not think you have enough time to do something. Pushing yourself past it and going after it. And it's being consistent through those tough times to ultimately lead to your success in whatever you're doing. I think if you can get through that journey, you're tough. Because, you know, nobody's journey to the top's easy. Nobody's ever made it easily. 
Dude, for the, a 22-year-old kid, which you are, yeah, your maturity level is, like, ridiculous. Like, the amount of time that it took you to realize – I mean, I got chills because in the time it took you to realize, like, what toughness is and, like – and that's your definition at 22 years old versus it took me till I was 27 to figure that out. That's like a five year difference in maturity mm. level of what it took me to realize like toughness. Yeah. Isn't throwing weights around and freaking running people over. It's exactly what you just said, like working hard when things are tough and like pushing through, you know, not injury, but like, uh, you know, obstacles. Yeah. You know, like whatever's, the, you know, roadblocks in your way and just finding a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously like I, I appreciate you sharing your story on the podcast and I appreciate your uh, maturity level, on, you know, for yeah. a 22 year old. One of the youngest on here. I, I might you be. might be the youngest Heck actually. Yeah. yeah. You, you <laughs> awesome. Might, you might hold the record. Um, but yeah, man. Thanks. Dude, yeah. Thanks thank you so on. much for having me. Uh, on the podcast it was fun my first podcast ever and you know i like to talk so this was a this was a great time glad i got to sit down and talk with you and you're doing awesome things with this podcast and you know you're bringing a lot of stories to light and it's enjoyable to to listen to i've been listening to more and more of them since i met you and it, keep it up and thank you again for having me on here i'm yeah. glad i could talk and hope i uh motivated someone out there i think you did you motivated awesome. me so uh <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, man. Yep, no problem.